and welcome to Booklist Shelf Care, the podcast, where we talk collection development, reader's advisory, and reference right into your little ears. I'm Susan McGuire, your guide on this journey through all things bookish and library land. Here at Booklist, we're still mostly working from home, which my dog really likes because in between frequent naps, he can stare at me all day while I work. I really like it too because I can take breaks from strenuous editing and reviewing to stare into his big brown eyes. We are obsessed with each other. I also like it because I'm a homebody by nature, and the shine of not leaving my apartment ever hasn't quite worn off. I like being around my dog and my blankets and my books. So many books. I have the problem that I know a lot of library workers face. Too many books, too little shelf space. They end up in piles on my nightstand and coffee table or on the floor. It's a happy mess, but it is a mess. It's worth asking the question, do I need all of these books? Am I going to refer back to them? Am I going to reread them? Am I going to require access to them in a way I can't get from any other source? So I talked to Dan Bostrom, a librarian expert, about weeding one's personal book collection. Dan also happens to be married to my fellow adult book senior editor, Annie Bostrom. And later in the episode, she shares a little bit of her perspective on personal weeding, hint it's different from Dan's, and also shares a book she really loved from our Spotlight on Food issue. Before that, audio editor Heather Booth ruminates on how audiobooks help us with our pronunciation of names like Siobhan and Hermione, and words like chaise long and Marquise, which I think I just said wrong. But before we get to all that, let's hear from some friends. Want to share that great Booklist Reader's Advisory content with your patrons? Now it's easy with Booklist Reader, a selection of backlist booklists and best ofs designed with your patrons' reading needs in mind. Want to know the best book group books? Booklist Reader has a list. Looking for great middle grade graphic novels? There's a list for that. What about the best mysteries and thrillers on audio? You better believe Booklist Reader has a list for that, too. Best of all, the titles featured are already on your shelves, so no need for frustrating holds cues. Booklist Reader is included with your subscription to Booklist, so you can share this digital magazine on your library's website or newsletters. Find Booklist Reader on booklistonline.com reader issues and start sharing the great reader's advisory content with your patrons today. Dan Bostrom is the Member Engagement Manager for the Consortium Reaching Across Illinois Library System, or RAILS. He's also married to Booklist Editor Annie Bostrom, and you know with two library people in an apartment that there will be lots of books and space will be at a premium. He and I talked about his process for weeding their personal collection, which, like any weeding project, is less than straightforward. Give a listen, won't you? And I'm talking to Dan Bostrom from Rails. So Dan, before we get too into this, tell us a little bit about your experience with libraries, just so we know what kind of expertise we're dealing with here. Okay. Hello, Susan. Hello. My name is Dan Bostrom. I am the member engagement manager at the Reaching Across Illinois Library System, which is frequently called Rails. We're a multi-type library system. It's an interesting job because I have never worked for money in a, in a library. I had a three-month stint as a field worker at the Pewaukee Public Library outside of Milwaukee, but I have never actually worked in a library. My my previous, I do have a library degree, but I uh, worked at the American Library Association before I came to Rails. So my experiences with libraries, I mean, I have a lot of experience with libraries, but just not working in them. As a patron. 
But you still, you've studied the theory and you understand the mechanics. I do. You just haven't gotten yelled at because the copier's out of paper. (laughs) Not yet. That's a joke for all the library workers out there. So you also are married to my coworker, Annie Bostrom. And Annie's also a librarian and she's also a book list editor. So I'm sure listeners can imagine in a household of two librarians that you have a lot of books. So let's talk about your collection development practices. How often do you guys buy books? What kind of stuff do you buy? How much do you get from publishers? How, how do the books come into your house? So the books come into our house a lot. <laughs> and, yeah. and I would say half purchase, half from uh, acquired from publishers in the form of you typically galleys, sometimes finished books, books that have been reviewed. But we we do a lot of purchasing. You know, we have preferred independent bookstores. We do purchase books from Barnes and Noble, and yeah, and then we get a lot of books as gifts. We get a lot get a lot of books from friends and family. A lot of recommendations. We do a lot of book sharing amongst other people, librarians that we know, other big readers that we know. Um, so yeah, we have a lot of books coming in a lot. Yeah, and you have a lot of bookshelves. <laughs> we have a lot of bookshelves. Yes, yes. So do you have some indication that it's time to weed this personal collection, like the shelves are busting or, or is it a constant process that you're doing? No, this, this interview is coming at the exact right moment because we (laughs) are, we're in the process of consolidating and starting to move we want to move soon. We have a young one and we are sort of busting at the seams in terms of our living space. And she has a lot of books too. Yeah, exactly. No, it's true. And board books take up a lot of room. And so she's been given her own shelf. Actually, she has her own bookshelf. And so with the addition of her books and our books, it's really become time to start consolidating. So now, as I mentioned, there there are two librarians in the house. Yep. How do you get, do you guys have the same philosophy about consolidation and and weeding? And if not, how do you get matrimonial buy-in for a weeding project? How do you negotiate? This is also maybe a a marriage question in addition to a weeding question. I would say that this is far more a marriage question than it is a (laughs) weeding question. So we do not always typically have the same approach to weeding as as I would like. I am one of these people who uh, I enjoy weeding. I enjoy getting rid of books. I enjoy having them go out kind of like I I like a one in one out approach, Mm -hmm. right? If you're acquiring a book, you're getting rid of a book. And my partner, as you alluded to, who's a booklist staffer, has I think has just has a stronger connection to the especially the books that she's reviewed, the books that she's read, right? And uh, and really doesn't doesn't really like the getting rid of books as much as I do. And I understand that 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 you know that that's um that is to- a totally understandable thing. I think a lot of people have that, but it but it kind of sometimes leads to a little bit of. Uh, just a difference in opinion on these things. Yeah. And and I, I just feel like when I when I think about the books that I want to get rid of, I think, you know, they definitely mean something to me. They're valuable to me. But I'm also like, I want to share that with other people. My ideas is like, I want other people to experience what I experienced from it. And we have to, we have these, we have these talks a lot about like, what is this relationship? What is this having this book down the line? What would that mean to us? And are you starting to think about like, what kind of collection do we want our our child to grow up with? 
Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah. I, but actually, this is funny. I had a conversation with my sister-in-law about this a little bit. And I think sometimes that having the like parents having the books on the shelves means that kids will like never read them because oh, okay. right because it's sort of like a very it's like a very uncool thing for like actually I remember this I remember seeing my copies of my parents books and be like man I'm not gonna read those those look like weird weird books you know and yeah, I you know I've never read Irma Bombeck which is what my mom had a lot of yeah so right it's just like you know it's automatically un unreadable because it is owned by this person who's the def- definition of not cool so as much as I would like our collection to influence my daughter, I don't know. I sometimes think there's an unintended consequences there. Right, right. You don't want her to turn into a non-reader. <laughs> but I think there is like the this sort of romance about being surrounded by books that especially, yeah, you know, librarians who are book lovers have. And so... Well, you know, I had that. It is a very real problem. Yeah, my mom was a reading teacher. My mom was a middle school reading teacher and had books everywhere and just and was constantly reading books and was always, you know, dragging us to the library. And, you know, I, I think you get a lot of that through osmosis, whether you want to or not. And, you know, she would always make sure that we checked out at least three books in our visit to the public library. So you get yeah, you can't use at some point you can't sort of avoid it. Right. Not that you would want to, but right. <laughs> so let's get technical. Okay. What what kind of criteria do you use for weeding, and how how relevant is your knowledge of the crew method and other library tools and principles? Well, in preparation for this discussion, I did yeah. a, I did a little bit of research, <laughs> and and actually one of the one of the biggest sources for my research is I would say friend of the podcast Rebecca Vanuk. Yes. And mutual friend Rebecca Vanilk, who's I would say who, who's I would say a bit of an authority on collection development and weeding. And so I was looking through some of her materials. Some of these are available through Rails. And you know, ideally, it's like a one-in, one-out process, right? You're trying to like do things like reduce duplicates. My home collection is not like organized or cataloged in any specific way. It used to be. But like now that I have, um, not, again, now, now that we have a child, that that has kind of gone out the <laughs> gone out the window, right? So you know, when when I'm thinking about what I'm getting rid of first, obviously, like I'm getting rid of like outdated like reference materials and nonfiction stuff that's like no longer that relevant. You know, the, a lot of nonfiction sort of outlasts its useful life pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Personally, I'm always like trying to get rid of the classics because I think those are really cheap and easy to find everywhere. You know, so uh, I actually just got rid of a copy of, uh, I got I got rid of like some Hemingways that I had read in college. I got rid of some F. Scott Fitzgerald and some other books that just weren't, I mean, it, again, like I, I have a connection to them. I, I do value them, but I'm, I'm like, this is something I could easily check out from the library or find online probably. Books that have wear and tear, you know, try to get rid of those. Those are the low hanging fruit. And that's been a big part of what I've been trying to do recently is really trying to get those uh, out the door as quickly as possible. Yeah. And often once you start even just doing that low hanging fruit, as you said, that can make a big difference. It can. It can. Unfortunately, that is only, I would say, like less than 5% of our collection. Right. Okay. (laughs) So there's some more matrimonial buy-in required. It needs to be done. Absolutely. Yeah. So when I'm when we're looking at like more, especially more current books, fiction books, 
things that we're, we're trying to get rid of. The, I think sometimes the way around getting rid of the books is to is to turn them into like books that you will loan out to friends or that you will push on to friends. Okay. The cool thing is my brother and sister-in-law have a vacation home and they wanted to replace all the books that were in vacation home. They wanted to get more like current copies. And so we asked to refresh a new opening day collection. Exactly, exactly. And so these were books that we would, you know, probably have access to down the line. We could still like go go visit them, right? Right. And but we're getting them out of my house, which is uh, or what out of our house, which is uh, a huge like hope for me is to just yeah. put them somewhere where they're not like you know taking up room in our in our domicile. Well, that that kind of leads into my next question: is what do you do with the books you deselect? Okay, great question. Voice them off on other family members. That that's one. That's kind of a high level. Um, the next level is little free libraries, and we we, oh. are, we are blessed to live in a neighborhood with a lot of little free libraries. And so, what I do is we go for walks quite often, and I will pick out like five copies, five books that I think could probably go in a little free library, mm-hmm. and I will put them out for partner review and. And he can look at them and say, I want to keep this or I don't. And then if if they if she doesn't want to keep them, they go into a canvas bag and I put the canvas bag underneath the stroller. And as we're walking by the little free libraries in our neighborhood, I will put them into the little free libraries. So again, I try to do it like five at a time. So it's not overwhelming. And if I if I have time, you know, a lot of times on the weekends, if if, if I have time, I will try to do like a bigger box. And that box usually will go to our local donation center. And that is nice because it benefits veterans. So everything you donate, the proceeds of the sales of those items go to veterans. But there's also, we're also very close to the Salvation Army and the Goodwill, which are good places to donate boxes. And I will say that I'm also part of a local Facebook, it's called Freebox Group where it's it's basically like don't buy or sell anything. Everything is like free. And I have taken boxes of books and like taken a picture of it. And then I put it in our alley and I say, first come, first serve. Here's the address. Come pick it up. And it's yours. And that has worked really well. I mean, typically when I do that, the books are gone within five, six hours. Nice. That reminds me of like walking around New York and seeing boxes of books on people's stoops with just a little sign that says free on them. And they usually get picked over pretty quickly. Yeah. And you know this, the thing about galleys and arcs is you can't sell them. You can't re no, that's, that's no, that's a big no, no. And so, you know, we make sure that the published, you know, the the book uh, that we're giving away has already been published. Yeah. That's the only way to get rid of those is, is either the little free libraries or we put them, you know, into like a free box. Now I'm going to argue with you here. That's not the only way to get rid of them. Cause what I do is this might be controversial and I, I'm not sure we might have to cut this part out of the podcast, but I just recycle my galleys. I just throw them out. I mean, I recycle. That's not controversial. That's not controversial. Actually, that might be the most eco-friendly version of that story. The trouble with the trouble with weeding a home collection is you don't have stats, right? right? You don't have, you don't have circs. You can't, you can't look at, you know, like you can look at the average age. You can't really look at the average age of your collection and say like this midpoint, right? So it's, it's a little bit difficult in that way. You know, I would recommend anybody, I don't know who does this anymore, but you know, some people are like are on Goodreads, 
And, you know, if you, if you post your reviews or you post what books you read, I would suggest looking at whatever rating you gave the book and set a, you know, set like a midpoint, be like, okay, if it's, if it's two or under and it's from the last, you know, it's like from five years before, I'm going to give it away that sort of thing. I don't do that. I, I used to do, I used to rate every book that I read on Goodreads and that went by the wayside a long time ago. So. Right. Also, if you can't remember what you rated it, I mean, not your specific rating, but if you can't remember whether you liked it or not, you probably didn't like <laughs> it that much. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And there's some, I mean, you know, books should be, I think, I don't know, books should be memorable. You should have, you know, if you, if you can remember very, the, like specifically the plot to it, it's probably a book that you want to keep, probably a book you want to keep. I'm not a person that goes back and re like rereads books very often. Yeah. I don't have, I don't have those books. So I'm much more likely to get rid of, I think the copies of even the books that I like a lot. Have you ever rebought a book? Cause you're like, Oh, I used to have this copy of the great Gatsby and now I want to read it again. I don't think so. The great Gatsby is not a good example, <laughs> but you know, I don't think so. I had, so, and I'm uh, yeah. Okay. There, there's one book that will never leave my collection. Oh yeah. Let's hear it. You're ready for it. Yeah. Okay. It's called rascal. It's a chapter book. It's a, it's a children's book. It won a Newbery honor man, a long, long time ago. It's by an author called Sterling North. It's about a, it's about a boy or a raccoon and growing up in Wisconsin. Uh, I grew up in Wisconsin, so obviously I identified with it. But that is a book that, you know, I have read multiple times. I, it's just, it speaks to me in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So it will, it will never leave, it will never leave my, my personal collection. I don't think, to answer your question, I don't think I've ever re, rebought a book. And it's pretty uncommon, again, it's pretty uncommon for me to reread books that even the ones that I like, I just, I don't know why. It's just, there's so much out there to read. Yeah. Yeah. You're not a rereader. No, I actually, you know what? I haven't mentioned part of my strategy here. Yeah. Um, this is important. This is an important part too, is eBooks. I've okay. started, I've started only buying, well, I've started buying more eBooks and, and I have, a, so I have a Kobo. I have a e-reader that's mm -hmm. a Kobo and, uh, and I just buy it through there. And also I'm a big like Libby access 360 user yeah so i'll get a lot of copies there so so not having the physical copies in my house is is a big thing and like i've started purchasing i, I don't know i i, I maybe maybe i purchase one every two or three months or something like that mm -hmm. but, but that is a good way to that's a good way for me to sort of keep the books out of my my house now to play devil's advocate mm. it's not a perfect solution because you just have access <laughs> not ownership so like in 15 years, you know, you're not going to have that copy of true, but, but I've already Prada or whatever you have bought. <laughs> true. And my, and you know what, my e-readers starting to show some wear anyways. Yeah. <laughs> so I, this is a chance I'll read. It's not a perfect system at all, but right. you have to understand I'm a man that, that, that uh, values the, the space that is um, the opportunity cost that, that is the space that uh, that physical book would have otherwise occupied. Right. And that, that I think is the tough love that we often, I know Rebecca has talked about giving this tough love talk to librarians who are hesitant to weed like their library collections. It's like, yeah, you only have so much space. You got to make yes. choices. Yeah. And I go to a lot of libraries in my, in my job and I've seen the, those tough decisions in action and it, it's hard. It, it is. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I might sound like a jerk here because I'm like not that sentimental about my books, but I I understand it's a difficult decision, especially when, you know, you've got a book that's very well, well loved or, or uh, you know, well used by the community. Yeah. And if you can give it another home, I think that might ease some of the burden. Mm -hmm. 
So what advice do you have for a library worker wanting to start their own home weeding project? <laughs> start small, make sure that you're spacing out your project over. I mean, this is true of any weeding project is it's not done. You're not going to do it overnight. You're not going to do it in a matter of a week or even a couple of weeks. It needs to be it needs to be a, a slow sort of transition. You know, I would say gather data, but I don't know how much data people have. Right. If you can start sort of mentally cataloging or mentally categorizing your books into, you know, get rid of, you know, maybe get rid of not sure, definitely, you know, keep, definitely keep something like that. Mm -hmm. That will definitely help you. Don't try to get rid of everything at once. I would say, like I said, the method where you do five at a time, that's kind of a good, it might seem like it's, it's going to take you forever to really weed your collection. But if you keep doing it, and, and it gets to be a routine, especially if it's attached to something like going for a walk or stopping after work or something like that, you can start making a dent in it. I think I would say that at this point, we've reduced our collection by I don't know, maybe a maybe a fourth. Wow, that, maybe that maybe that's ambitious. I don't know, but but let's just say that that that's a lot of books. So and and this we started this process. I don't know back in maybe three four months ago, and it's it's continuing to this day. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's been it's been good. So start slow. Start slow. Start small. Yep. And now that we're done talking about getting rid of books, what are you reading and loving lately? So I had this is um. This is a great example of uh, of of an ebook that I that I purchased. So, the book I really wanted to read, Cloud Cuckoo Land, by Anthony Doerr. and the hold times for the physical copies at my public library were pretty long. You know, came up came out very recently. It's been a popular book. So, and and I tried to put it uh, hold in Libby, and that those wait times are long too. So I was just like, you know what? I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy an e-copy of it and I'll have it for whatever length of duration that I have it. And it was, it's a beautiful book. It's a really, really cool book. And uh, I enjoyed his, his pre the, all you, uh, all the light we cannot see. Is that, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, and so I really enjoyed this one as well. So, and you know, of course there's the connection to libraries. He dedicated the book to libraries. So I, I, I like that part of it too. Nice. Yeah. Any final thoughts before we wrap up this discussion of how to keep yourself from getting buried underneath a pile of books in your own home? <laughs> I don't think so. I, but I do. I mean, I've seen a lot of librarians' homes, and I understand that it's it's diff- it, it is a difficult thing to manage. So I offer sympathy to anybody who's who's facing that challenge. Yeah, but be strong. Be strong. And we love you. <laughs> we, we do love you. We do love you. This has been fun. Thank thank you, Susan. Thank you, Dan. Say, do you like reading? Do you like hearing what authors have to say about their writing? Then you've just got to hear the Shelf Care interview. It's a quick conversation between a book lister and a book person about their work, their inspiration, and whatever else we can fit in under 15 minutes. Hear Maggie Reagan talk to Ibram X. Kendi and Jason Reynolds about Stamped, Racism, Anti-Racism, and You. Hear Ronnie Curry chat with Susan Mwadi Daraj and Simon Nurali about their series for young readers, Farah Rocks and Sadiq, or to Saba Tahir, Nicole Andelfinger, and Sonia Lau and their graphic novel, A Thief Among the Trees. Hear Julia Smith talk to Tracy Hecht about the Nocturnal series, and more. Can you believe there's more? You can find the Shelf Care interview right on this here podcast feed or wherever you listen to Bookless Shelf Care the Podcast. Happy listening! Hello, this is audiobook editor Heather Booth. If you're a bookish person, chances are you've read more individual words and have more words in your own vocabulary than you've ever heard spoken or have spoken yourself. 
This is one place where audiobooks can be our best friends, thanks to the diligent work of narrators who research every element of their narrations to present the best, most authentic, and most correct pronunciations for us, and boy are we grateful to them. For example, it wasn't until I was listening to Black Swan Green that I heard the correct pronunciation of the Irish girl's name, Siobhan. What a surprise that was after reading it written for so many years. Similarly, books set in France have exposed me to the correct pronunciation of a number of French words, and we can't forget all of those Regency romances that taught me that Marquess is actually pronounced more like it's written and not Marquis, as I had incorrectly assumed. I asked our reviewers if they had ever had this experience, and here are some of their stories. It wasn't until I listened to the audio recording of Leave the World Behind, narrated by Marin Ireland, that I realized there was a bit of a discrepancy in the pronunciation of a certain piece of furniture that isn't that common. I thought it was pronounced chaise lounge. She pronounces it chaise long. Um, and I did a little bit of research and realized that both are accepted, but chaise long is the French pronunciation of a long chair. Reviewer Matt Makowski pointed out that audio has been helpful across many of the sci-fi and fantasy books he's read, which makes sense. Invented lands, invented character names could be pronounced so many different ways. And narrators occasionally comment that they do consult with the authors directly to get the names right on occasion. Chris Bajalian is another name I learned from audiobooks, and our reviewer Ashley Young shared that it was his use of the words cerulean and the lioness that was the first time she'd heard that pronounced correctly. And Carolyn on Twitter admitted that she learned that it's tousled from an audiobook, not tussled. Emily Borsa pointed out one that was a commonality for many avid American audio listeners, the name Hermione. It's a name that's ubiquitously understood now, but was rarely heard on this side of the pond before Jim Dale's Harry Potter narrations educated us. And Pam Spencer Holly remembers being surprised by a number of Britishisms over the years in audiobooks, and the word aluminum pronounced aluminium in particular. How about you? Have you had a light bulb moment while listening to an audiobook and suddenly realized that that's a word or name you'd been reading in your head all those years and it's actually pronounced differently? I would love to hear. Send me a voice note at hbooth at ala.org and I would love to collect another batch of these for a future podcast episode. In the meantime, we remain eternally grateful to those narrators that do their research and present us with the very best of all of the pronunciations that they find. Until then, happy listening. I'm here with senior editor in adult books, Annie Bostrom, and we're going to talk about a book that she's excited about. But before that, her, her last name might sound familiar because we just earlier in the episode talked to her dear husband, Dan, about weeding. You what? <laughs> I know, it's a shock. But weeding your personal collection. And he, he said you were a more reluctant party when it came to culling your collection. Does that sound right? That's accurate. I would also say I'm less hasty is another way to say it. I think there's a lot to be said, you know, kind of like editing and writing. There's a lot to be said for the, the second pass and the third pass. It's like you might think you look at a book once and you're like, I, I cannot get rid of this. But a couple of times later, you're like, oh. I don't need that. I don't know why I was keeping that. Yeah. So I just need some time. All right. That's fair. This morning, he suggested getting rid of Daisy's, our daughter's books. And I was just like, 
the paint isn't even dry. This kid isn't even a year old. Yeah. Oh, that's a little, that's a little much. <laughs> that's a little too enthusiastic. So, too enthusiastic. So we compromised on making a box of the tiny baby books and the tiny baby toys because she has, I will admit she has grown out of like playing with some things and reading some things, but no need to get rid of them. No need to throw the books out with the baby water. Right. <laughs> right. That old saying. <laughs> Well, speaking of throwing books out, no. Well, that's another thing that we talked about is you guys putting your books in the little free library. We do that a lot. I love it. I mean, I think that's really a sweet neighborhood um, thing. We're also very lucky that we have a little free library on the corner. Apologies if you already explained this, but our friend lives on the corner and she's a librarian. You can believe we have librarian friends. And she put a little free library in front of her home. And it is so well trafficked that things move just day to day, be empty. So it's very rewarding to put books in there because they're pretty much always gone. Except for, I bet Dan did not mention that he likes these huge books of statistics called baseball prospectus that come out every year and it's just like bible thin pages of statistics about players yeah and nobody ever takes those (laughs) oh they don't take the old almanacs and old statistic books no i mean they're not even old it's like from this year but everyone is just like what's baseball (laughs) (laughs) i think it's another one that's like uh, college football so but besides that a lot of movement and they, they do eventually go i don't know if people use them for you know wrapping paper or what, but they're not there anymore. All right. Well, let's talk about a book that you haven't put in the little free library yet. Sure. What are you reading and loving? So I am reading for our upcoming Spotlight on Food, which is my favorite issue. It's our October 1st issue, but I'm reading My First Popsicle, an anthology of food and feelings by Zosha Mamet, or she edits it, Mm -hmm. and it's coming from Penguin. And it is just a super fun collection of people writing about food. And by people, I mean a lot of really recognizable names in writing and acting and like theater worlds, producer worlds. So very much like in Zosha Mamet as an actress. And you can tell in the little bios of everyone like, oh, yes, she was on, you know, she was in my or the my flight attendant the flight attendant with Kaylee Cuoco who has a piece in here so everyone is kind of connected to her somehow and it's just I love I love reading pieces like that there's a book that came out a few years ago called Eat Joy that was another edited collection but that one was from Catapult and the editor was Natalie Eve Garrett that collection if I remember was pretty much all from writers and so this has a just kind of a different scope but similar idea of just very different takes on like the prompt of write about food. This one is kind of like write about your first experience with the food, but not everybody did it that way. And, you know, like any collection, there's just a huge range of in every way, but you know, like David Sedaris has a piece that will make you laugh. Were there any unusual foods that people talked about? There was one thing and this is bad. I can't remember who contributed it. Apologies, but his food was something called cookie salad. And 
it was it, it's like a jello pudding it's a pudding based salad it's not a, it doesn't sound like a jello mold it's a pudding based salad that has like vanilla pudding mandarin canned mandarin oranges maybe some coconut and like chopped up chips away <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah and it's like a favorite food and the essay kind of goes into the author's like i think he grew up maybe i want to say omaha and it's kind of like his experience of like maybe it's montana anyway leaving that world and being like oh like this isn't salad. Like that's not what <laughs> most people. So it's very sweet. And I feel like food is just, it's very easy for those kinds of things to happen with food because they're so connected to our homes. And, you know, we, we have to learn over and over again that like the world is mostly not just like our home. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. That sounds powerful. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think if there's any others that I need to mention. Some are just like very personal too, which I really appreciate. Gabourey Sidibe, the actress, mm-hmm. she writes about this food. It's a specific chicken dish that her father made that she loved. and But also just really talks about her super complicated relationship with her dad in a very open and personal way. And, you know, she is also a writer. She's written a memoir, too. So, yeah. But, yeah, it's, I just feel like food has is such a good opener to so many other things. Yeah, because everyone eats. Everyone eats. I know. Right. Well, that sounds like a delightful it is, yeah. Anthology or collection. So what is the title again? The title is My First Popsicle, an anthology of food and feelings, edited by Zosha Mamet from Penguin, coming out on November first. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing it and thanks for chatting with me and thanks for your whole household chatting with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Bye. Bye. That's it for this episode of Booklist Shelf Care, the podcast. I hope you gained some insight that will help you weed your own personal book collection and pronounce words correctly. Two equally important skills, no? If you enjoyed this episode, won't you give us a review? That will help more people find shelf care and our extremely necessary insights. Until next time, happy weeding and happy reading. Happy reading.